Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 38, The Mystery of Heaven, Part 4. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that tells you the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know, right, Zena? That is very true. I'm here with the Warrior Princess again, and we're going to talk some more today about the mystery of heaven. This is going to be part four. Wowzers. There's a lot to heaven. There's a lot. I keep digging and finding more things, so I keep extending <laughs> extending the podcast. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy this because I, you know, we don't want to get you tired of it, but I just don't get tired of learning about what we have right? waiting for us. Very true. You know, so it's really fun. Uh, thanks again to everybody for writing in. We've been getting some great questions. That is awesome. Thank you, guys. And we're going to save those for, remember, we kind of teased a little bit about doing a little live thing. Yes. So we're, we're still working on a date on that, but as soon as we do, we'll let you know. Yes, we will. So, okay. So if you're ready, Zena, we'll dive in. I'm all ready. Cool. So one of the things about heaven is that we, um, you know, when, when a person dies, the Bible refers to it in a, in a euphemism of sleep. Okay, and why some, is that? You know, I think it's just became a traditional thing. Like uh, you could say, like you know, David, David went and slept with his fathers, meaning like he went to join them in burial. So it's it's being referred to like a person, like your ancestors are asleep, when in reality their their bones are in a tomb somewhere. You yes. Know? So it just sort of became a euphemism for death, and I think it's because the idea of resurrection was so prominent. That hope that they had that death was just a temporary thing, you know? Really? Yeah, because in reality, the body is is not really sleeping. It's just dead, and it's, you know, decomposing, mm-hmm. I guess, depending how long it's been. But the person, their body and their, their, their soul and their spirit, rather, very much alive. Uh, they're in some location. They're either in heaven with the Lord. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the place called Abraham's bosom, remember? Yes. Which was paradise in the earth. And, and either way, it's a place of comfort and rest, waiting for the final resurrection. And so we're going to talk about those things you know, today. And we're going to talk about <clears throat> resurrection has more than one aspect to it because the, we, we that are alive today that would call ourselves Christians, our hope is that we know we're delivered from the wrath to come. Mm-hmm. And when I use the word hope, I mean it's an assurance. You know, sometimes words got turned into things that weren't their original meaning. Yeah. To a, to, in a modern extent, you know, it used to be when, uh, when I was a kid, if somebody said you were fat, it was, a, it was negative. It meant you were obese. Now fat is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, especially when you had used the word slept, when you had said he went to go, he had slept with his fathers. 
it could totally be interpreted a different a completely way. different connotation, which yeah. now, that's weird. You know? I, I was exactly. kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> so we talk about those that are asleep in Christ. Yes. Meaning they've, they've died. They're our beloved loved ones, our family, our relatives, our friends, whoever, that have already passed away, but they've, they've got their hope in Christ. So mm-hmm. their body's literally dead. Mm-hmm. But they're asleep in the sense of one day we're going to see them again. Yes. So it's that hope connotation. Well, hope is one of those words like fat or sleep, you know, that has a different meaning. Uh, for example, the word might is, is, a, is a word that when it first was introduced and used, it meant like to do something with might, with power. Yeah. And now we use it like, are you going to the party scene? Well, I might. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, maybe, you know. Yeah. But might really had a much more powerful, stronger influence originally. Hope was the same way. You say, you're going to the party? Well, I hope so. But if, if <laughs> back in those days, you would have said, that is my hope. Are you going to the party? You may, I, I will be there. Right? You know? That is my confidence. And I'm like, I- Maybe. I, I might be there. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see words have kind of changed meaning, and that's one of the reasons why it's a great question you asked, because why, why, did he, why did he fall asleep? Well, he died, but it's a picture of knowing one day he'll be raised again. Yes. Right? So Paul writes a lot about resurrection, but he also talks about us right now, because we, when we die, um, we're not looking for the same kind of resurrection, say, that Israel is. We're looking for an event that the Bible refers to as the rapture. Or actually, I should say Christians refer to it as the rapture. The Bible calls it caught up. Okay. okay. But it's the same thing. All right. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul makes a reference to the fact that we're going to put off the body that we have right now that's flesh and blood, and it's going to put on something better. So he says in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house... He's talking about the physical body, mm-hmm. earthly house. Interesting he calls it a house. Yeah. Yeah. If, if our earthly house of this tabernacle, and we've used that word before, that's an old word, but tabernacle literally is like a tent. Mm-hmm. So it's a temporary dwelling. So you don't think of your body, the flesh and blood that you have as your temporary dwelling because you're like, well, this is my body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I love mine. <laughs> this is what I live in, right? I, I, <laughs> you, you exercise, you take care, better care of yours than I do of mine. <laughs> That's for sure. But you can see, he says, if it were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's this promise that one day we're going to put this body off. Mm -hmm. It's going to eventually get old and decay and die, but we're we're going to put on a body that's going to be like Christ's body. Yeah. And and the thing about it is when we were talking about heaven and a lot of the preconceptions we first talked about when we said, what, what did you think of heaven as we had sort of cartoon images? <laughs> right? Well, a lot of people still think that heaven, we're just like floating around like ghosts. And maybe we have little wings and maybe we're playing harps, but they think of us as like we're transparent, like Casper, oh, the friendly ghost, you know. Okay, that makes sense. That's a lot of people's image, but, but it's not that way at all. We are going to be physical beings in the new heaven and the new earth. And so we're going to look into that. This, this is one of the first indications that we have this physical body. And he, he goes on to say, and everybody, I think, over 30 can relate to the next verse, because <laughs> he says, for in this we groan, <laughs> you know, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So that usually when we're younger, we don't feel all the pains and aches that you get when you get older. Very true. But even if we take really good care of ourselves, eventually parts start to wear out, you know. 
So as we get older, we start to have more aches and pains. And then as you get really older, you start looking forward to the day when I can leave this body Mm -hmm. and put on a new one. And so that's what he's saying here. We long to be clothed with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. It's not like we just want to die like because of suicide. We want to get out of this flesh and blood and put on the better house. Okay. You know? And he says, um, and not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So the body that awaits us is an eternal body that won't get old, that won't feel pain, that won't die. How wonderful. Yeah, very wonderful. And so the other thing he goes on to say about this is, now, he says, he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God. Wrought is W-R-O-U-G-H-T, like wrought iron. You've ever heard of wrought iron? Yes. So wrought iron is called that because they didn't just pour molten metal in a mold and shape it. Somebody beat it like a blacksmith. So a wrought iron fence is, maybe they don't actually do that this way anymore, but it used to be they would heat up the bars and then beat it into shape, you know, like a horseshoe or... Well, that takes way too much time. Yeah, right. <laughs> but think of all the work it takes. You know, time and labor, pounding and pounding away. Somebody once said that our lives before God is kind of like he's a blacksmith and you're a piece of scrap metal in a junk pile somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he needs a special tool. So the blacksmith is looking and he doesn't find any tool that suits the job. So he goes through a scrap pile. And he starts looking through the thing, and he finds one that's just an old cut-off piece of metal he cut off from some other job. And it's jagged, and it's shaped wrong, and it's rusty. So he heats it in the fire, and he starts to beat it. And he beats it into the shape of exactly what he needs. And once it's done, it's all tempered, and he puts it in the water, right, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's all ready to go. And that's like us. When, when we get saved, we're a mess, you know? Yes. And God finds us, and we go through a lot of pain sometimes to get to the point where he can use us. You know, it's very, I like that. Yeah, he beats us, you know, and we suffer some, but it's we're learning something, we're growing, we're getting to the point where we become that vessel that he needs. Mm-hmm. You know? So I like that too. I think it's a beautiful I do. I do like that. analogy. So when he says, he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing as God, I picture God as being the blacksmith, beating us, getting us ready for this journey we're going to take so we can finally get in that house, you know. The craziest thing is I'm sitting here and I'm just imagining that, just being like, not me literally being beat, but like, you know, him sitting there molding and being like, okay, she's going to do this. He's going to do that. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. Now follow the way. Oh, you're getting off the path. (laughs) Let me put you back on the path. That's exactly right. He, He is literally... The one that's guiding us, and we make mistakes, and we stray, or we 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 make an error, and we didn't realize we should have done it this way or yeah. that way. And it's not like God's going to stop you from ever making a mistake. Mm-hmm. He's going to let you make them. Yes. Just like a parent sometimes has to let their child make the mistake so they can learn. Yes. To do better. Very true. And I since feel like he you, loves us, yeah. Yeah, because you you want to make sure that you're not impeding someone's growth, and the only way you can grow is. You have to fail and you have to make mistakes and that's completely normal. That's right. Experience is the teacher. Yes. Right? So he says, God wrought us for this who has also given us the earnest of the spirit. And the word earnest is almost like a guarantee. It's like if you could, it's like a down payment. Okay. So the earnest is like the guarantee. So God gave us a guarantee of his spirit that though we go through the hardships for his service, one day we're going to be putting on this body. Mm-hmm. So he says, therefore, we are always confident 
and knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. As long as we're in our physical body, we're not in his presence in heaven. But then he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So the indication is that if we are absent from the body, which is death, we leave, we're going to be with the Lord. There's no, you know, some people take the, the term sleeping in Christ as when you die, you literally go to sleep in a grave and you wait till the rapture or you wait till the resurrection. Yeah. As if you, your soul and your spirit are literally unconscious for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true at all. I don't believe the Bible is teaching that. Sleep is a euphemism. It's not meant to say you're literally sleeping because if a body's dead, it doesn't need to sleep. Right? It's, it's dead. It's dead. <laughs> and, and if your soul and your spirit are very much alive, but maybe they're not in the body they're going to receive, why would they need to sleep? That's you know, true. Why not enjoy the peace and the tranquility and the, and the joy that God has for you right now till that resurrection takes place? Because mm -hmm. you, know? you still have a soul and a spirit that are a form of a body on their own, you know. So with all that said, he says, Whether, wherefore we labor, that's our work, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So no matter whether we're asleep in Christ or we're alive in Christ, we want everything that we do to be accepted in him because someday we're going to stand before him and he's going to reward the service. Yes. You know? So that's a beautiful picture as well. So in verse 10 of the same chapter, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the head he hath done. Uh, whether it be good or bad. And then he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So the terror of the Lord is the idea that if you're not in Christ and you don't have the hope of and the assurance of salvation, you're going to have to stand before God in judgment to give an account of what you did and be judged according to your works for eternity. I would much rather let Christ stand in my place and be my advocate Yes. Because if you had to judge me according to my works, I would fail, you know. I agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I right. could do a little bit better. And in all that we do, you know, if we're saved, what we do, we, we do for Christ's sake. That's never going to be brought into condemnation. You, you, may, you may see that you had a reward you could have had because you didn't serve him for some time or whatever. But you'll never give an account for your eternity. That's already been secured because he bought you with his own blood. You belong to him. No matter how bad we get, we belong to him. But those that don't know him are the ones that'll have to face that judgment of where they'll spend eternity based on their own works. And that's the one I don't want. Me either. <laughs> so the hope we have, as I've mentioned before, was that term, the rapture. And even though that word is not in the Bible, people refer to it as that uh, because the term is caught up in 1 Thessalonians. And the word caught up is almost, it's almost like a violent act of seizing in the nick of time. And um, the reason I think we use the word rapture uh, is because the original Latin word for that is, is the root is like, um, have you ever, you've seen it, I don't know if you've ever seen like an eagle catch a mouse or something. Yes. Or a squirrel, right? They're like... They swoop down, the yeah. mouse never sees it coming, and wham, they go, and they're in the claws. Yes. And that's why those kinds of birds that catch things like that are called raptors. Okay. The raptor is a, a, a hawk, a falcon, a whatever, an eagle that catches prey that way. So the rapture is like an immediate jet grabbing and snatching out of the way, you know, and that's what's coming. So if we start in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 
and verse 13, here the Apostle Paul is writing and he uses that euphemism of sleep. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So he's saying, basically, we that have loved ones that have already died, but they're, they're saints, they're in Christ, we, well, of course, we're going to cry when they're gone. We miss them. We mourn. That's normal. But we don't sorrow as those which have no hope. The world that doesn't know Christ sees death as the end. We see it as the beginning. Okay. The beginning to the eternal existence and the new house, you know, that mm-hmm. we're going to put on. So he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So their hope is the same. They're going to go through what Christ did. They're going to be raised from the dead. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, which means at some point there's going to be saints walking around who haven't died yet that will experience the Lord coming to get them. And that's the event, the rapture. Okay. Okay, that's the event. He says, we, uh, we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Prevent is another one of those words that had an original meaning that's different now. We say prevent as though, you know, I don't, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to prevent you from doing that. Mm-hmm. But it literally, literally means pre-event before it happens. Prevent. So the idea is we're not going to go before them. They're going to go first. The ones that are asleep, verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Can you imagine what that sounds like? Yeah, no, I cannot actually. (laughs) And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ, them which are asleep, shall rise first. They're literally going to come up out of the graves with bodies that got all put back together, you know, even if they've been dust for centuries. Wowzers, that's got to be... Scary. <laughs> Imagine a city. Well, and the, but they're not zombies. You yeah. Know, we think of like the zombie I'm apocalypse. I'm thinking of devil of zombies. <laughs> they're going to have bodies like Christ's body. They're, it's going to be glorified. It's going to be new. The ones that don't feel pain and sorrow. Mm-hmm. And so they go first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And there's the term caught up. That's the word we get rapture from. Uh, in Greek, it's harpazo, but it means to seize by force. They'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we have great comfort in knowing we're going to see these people again. Our parents or our family or our friends or spouses who may have died before us or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to not only see them again, but we'll see them with the Lord. You know, And up we go. So we go to heaven, but Christ refers to the euphemism as sleep himself. When he was called to find a man that was sick who ended up dying, and his name was Lazarus. So if we go to John chapter 11, and we look in verse 11, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now, the disciples hear this, and they're thinking, sleep, why would you wake the guy up? Yeah. Let him sleep, you know. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, meaning to like to heal him so he didn't die. Mm-hmm. To the intent that you may believe, 
nevertheless, let us go unto him. So they went to him, and he raised him from the dead. But notice he used the phrase that he was asleep. Yeah, and I love that they were thinking the same thing I was thinking. Well, if he's asleep, why would you bug him? Like, let that guy sleep. <laughs> right. Probably a hard worker. He needs to get his rest. And evidently, that had been the thought process as sleep being a word as a euphemism for death for centuries, even all the way back to the book of Job. Wow. So Job, in chapter 14, literally said something as, as much when he went in verse 12. So man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. And he's not talking about just going to bed at night. He's talking about dying. And what he means is, there is a, there is a I don't want to call it a generation, but there is an, a group of people, a number of people, humanity, from, for centuries, that when they died and they fell asleep, they are going to be resurrected someday to face that judgment. Some will be judged and go into everlasting life, some to everlasting condemnation, and we find that in the book of Daniel. And it's kind of interesting because the book of Daniel closed with this thought. It's the last chapter, chapter 12, and it's an angel talking to Daniel, and he's basically saying, all right, you're done writing, seal the book. <laughs> and you can't tell anybody what it means until the time. So it's like, oh, man, I got a secret and I can't tell anyone. <laughs> but before he said that, in verse 1, he said, and this was the last chapter of Daniel, 12, verse 1, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. Now, do you remember the name Michael? We've talked about him before. He's an angel. Does that sound familiar? Was he, he wasn't the angel that guarded Israel, was he? Yes. Oh, he was? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so he's literally the prince of Israel. That's why he said the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So you just exactly summarized. Okay, I was like, um. <laughs> and he's also called the archangel. Okay. Which means he's like a high-ranking angel. So what's interesting to note is that right now, Israel, remember we talked about God's hiding his face from them until they acknowledge their offense. Mm -hmm. Well, once they do, God turns his face back to them, and the, the angel, the prince, turns his protection back to them. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. 
And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. And so he's basically back on guard again. Now, is an archangel <laughs> higher than a cherub? That I don't know. And I think if I had to guess, I would say no. I would say that a cherub is a different class of angel because they seem to be the ones that surround the throne of God. Okay. So it's almost like a special privileged angel in a sense. Whereas Michael the archangel is almost more like he's the military leader. Okay. Because he's the one who's going to fight the dragon and his angels. That's in right. In that final battle, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why he'll be involved in there. And it's interesting that he mentions that because Paul had just talked about the event of the rapture when he said there's going to be a shout with the voice of the archangel. It's as if to say when the rapture takes place is when maybe somehow something's going to coincide with Israel acknowledging their offense. Yeah. So that God says, okay, you can protect them again. And he goes, rah, and he shouts, you know, <laughs> as he comes down to be their prince again yeah. while we go up to meet right? the Lord. You know, it's like, woo, past each other in the night. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> So we might just see that. We yeah. might see the, the Michael and his army of angels swooping down as we go up to meet the Lord. That know? would be quite something Can you to see. imagine seeing? So that's just a possibility. But anyway, he says, and at that time there shall be a time of trouble since, uh, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So he's referring to basically the time of Jacob's trouble or the seven years of tribulation, which we're going out to escape, and Israel is going to go through to be tried. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so here's the next verse, verse two. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we're going to find out that there's going to be a resurrection at that time. After, and it's going to be at the end of the seven years, and it's going to be when the Lord comes back to rule on the earth when Christ returns to establish his throne in Jerusalem. And it's interesting because in the Bible, it's called the first resurrection, which means there's got to be more than one. Yeah. So we'll see that in just a moment. But what follows the first resurrection is literally a thousand years of Christ's government on the earth. And we talked a little bit about this before, but remember the world will have... um, They'll beat the swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. They can't make war. Uh, there's going to be trees that grow to heal people if they get sick and whatever. The lamb will lay down with the lion. They won't eat. Animals won't eat each other. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. And while it's not the new earth, it's a picture of it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like God for a thousand years is going to show all the nations. You can have this if you believe. And right now it's here because I'm reigning as a king, forcing you to obey. Mm-hmm. But if you'll just accept me as your, at your own free will, you'll be a part of the new heaven and the new earth, and this is just a taste of what's to come. And the interesting thing is, for all that, after a thousand years, so many people mount a rebellion against God to take his throne away from him that it outnumbers the sand of the sea. Wow. They gather together one final army to sort of attack like the angels did in the beginning. You know, <laughs> I understand why people just don't give up. Like, they don't. Just leave it alone. You know, this is the way that the world is supposed to be. Let's just let it fall into place the way it's supposed to be. And you know, the real irony of it is, 
when Christ does come back and starts the thousand years, mm -hmm. which is really called the day of the Lord, a day with the Lord is as? A thousand years, years right? Mm -hmm. So that thousand years is the literal Sabbath. It's the day of the Lord. And during that whole time, that's when Satan is chained in the bottomless pit. So he can't do anything. Mm -hmm. He can't make mischief. The demons are gone. The angels aren't attacking or doing anything. It's all man and man alone confronting God. And the idea being that without him to make mischief and to deceive and to lie and whatever he always does... The minute they let him out, at the end of the thousand years, it says for a little season, he gathers an army together and attacks. That's the first thing he does. So Just after a thousand years of a perfect government yeah. in a perfect world, they goes, nah, we can do better. <laughs> and so they attack him. Well, it's, it's kind of because they're going to, it's the final separation of the men from the boys, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, as, so to speak. So what's interesting is immediately after that attack and God burns it up with fire and there's a new, before there's a new heaven, a new earth, this judgment takes place. And that's the one where everybody has to stand to give an account of their works if they don't know the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's the one that you don't want to go to, right? I don't want to go to that one, no. Nope. <laughs> so funny thing is, Paul at one point was telling somebody about this judgment, and it was a Roman governor. So he was a Gentile. He didn't really know uh, the law like a Jew did or like Paul did. But the way I understand the Roman system back in those days, usually when you got into positions of authority, it's because you were good at something and you knew the right people, you know, kind of like the good old boy system, right? Mm -hmm. And and yet you obviously must have proved your worth, proved your valor, maybe in battle, usually in battle. And sometimes it was like generals who got promoted to governorships and things like that. Wow. So generally speaking, this man that Paul's talking to has probably seen the worst. Yeah. Men have their heads cut off in battle, legs cut off. I mean, no telling. No telling what he's literally seen or done himself as he worked his way up the ladder of the Roman Empire, right? Mm -hmm. So he's talking to this guy, and his name is Felix, okay? And it says that, and now it, it comes to pass that this man had a wife who was a Jew, and her name was Drusilla. So while Felix was a Roman, his wife was a Jew, and so he probably knew a little bit from what she knew about the Old Testament, but probably not much. But it's probably the only reason he agreed to even listen to Paul, because she probably said, he's one of my people. You probably ought to listen to him, you know. Oh. So for whatever reason, he gave him an audience, and it says, and after certain days when Felix came, in, it came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now, what words could a man say that would cause a battle-hardened guy like this to tremble? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you're going to tell us. Well, it was this judgment. The judgment to come. In other words, he must have painted the picture of standing before the God of creation and giving an account of your works. And if they don't measure up to the law, you'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. And he must have thought, he must have known enough about the law from his wife to go, man, I don't measure up. 
No. And so he trembled, right? And that's really the purpose of the law to begin with. It was to show men that they're not good, they can't keep it, and they need a Savior. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. So that brings us to this first resurrection. Okay. Okay. So we back up a little bit, a thousand years, and we go to Revelation chapter 20. And all this ties into the uh, mystery about heaven because all these things are going to take place before the new heaven and the new earth are presented. Okay. Or made, right? So in verse 5 it says, uh, and and by the way, so when Daniel was being told that many that sleep are going to rise up, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt, he was talking about the first resurrection uh, for a part of them. And they come up when the Lord comes back at the beginning of the thousand years. That's when the devil is chained and thrown in the pit. That's when Israel is restored as a nation, and there'll be a kingdom of priests again, as they were supposed to be. And then it says in verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So that means that there's only a number of people that come up in the first resurrection, and it's basically Israel. It's going to be them that evidently uh, will be judged to be given their portion in the restored nation of Israel. So there's many, many millions and millions of people, or billions, I guess, that are still going to be asleep mm-hmm. in the earth, okay? And so, and then he goes on to say in verse 11, and, and then those events take place after a thousand years later, then the devil's loosed, he starts his mischief, he gathers an army, he attacks Jerusalem, God rains down fire and burns the whole thing up. And saves the, 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 his people, mm-hmm. and he keeps them kind of like Daniel's friend in the fiery furnace, you know. But uh, then the, the devil's gone, and he's thrown into the lake of fire. But then this judgment. And look what John writes in verse 11. He says that I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So there's going to be a point at which the heaven and the earth have no place they won't, they won't be around. It's almost going to be like a giant throne room before God. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, which basically means somebody who's not very well known to the most famous people, small and great, not literally little tiny people. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> he saw them, the dead stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, the book of life, we've talked a little bit about. We'll probably do a full episode on that sometime. But that's everybody who's righteous, everybody who's saved. So they're in the book of life. And it's even called the Lamb's book of life because Christ is the means by which all men will be saved. So if your name is in the book of life, you've got salvation. But notice it said the books were opened and the men were judged out of the things contained in the books. And it goes on to say, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. If you had to guess, what books would you think those are? And nothing by Tom Clancy or... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would think one book would be for the people that are saved and then another book for people who are not saved. Yeah. Well, you're right because the book of life is the one for the people that are saved. Yeah. But the only difference is they're not being judged because they've already been Mm -hmm. redeemed so they won't face this judgment. So think of it like this. If you're going to be judged according to your works, 
whether it's good or bad. Bad things are things like don't kill, don't steal, yeah. don't lie, whatever. Well, where are those things found? In the, the other books. In the Law of Moses, right? Okay. So the books that are going to be opened, why which you're going to judge them, are going to be the Law of Moses. So why would you want to be judged by that law if you don't have to? You guys get saved. <laughs> Amen. So that's my point. And that's why I was asking you, because I wanted because you think in the place of my audience for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I want them to think too. So I appreciate that. And that's the idea. If you don't have a savior so that you know your name is written in the book of life, then you're gonna have to be judged by the other books. And if you go read those first five books of the Bible, you're gonna find out you're falling short. Because they were really written to show you that you can't keep it. But some people think they can. Yeah. And that's religious arrogance, you know. Uh, so anyway, they're going to be judged according to those things. And then it says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Because remember, hell is just a temporary prison. Ultimately, it will be emptied and they'll face this judgment. Oh, scary. Yeah. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So by extrapolation, if it's the second death, it's because it's the second resurrection. So we know what the first resurrection is, and they're going to be reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. The second resurrection is this judgment. And those that aren't in the Lamb's book of life are going to be, uh, it says, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, that's why Felix trembled. That's, that's a scary super thought. super scary. Now, you said the, the book of life. The only way you can get in there, would you have to be baptized? No. Okay. So, so baptism, and maybe we'll do a podcast about that too, because that's a source of great division. Okay. All if there's one thing that divides religion, it's baptism. Yeah. That's the one thing, and so it's it's beyond the scope of what we can do just right here, uh, and it'll probably be a multi-part series too, you know. <laughs> but basically, the water ritual of washing in baptism was a sprinkling of the priesthood. So technically speaking, water baptism was meant for the Jewish nation. Oh. And Gentiles adopted it somewhat erroneously as a picture of salvation. And so if people want to refer to it as a profession of faith or an outward sign of it or whatever, fine. Technically, it's not correct, but I'm not going to doubt people's sincerity. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing what they believe sincerely right. Um, but in reality, for you and I as believers, not being the Jewish nation program, our baptism is spiritual, and it takes place the moment you believe. So once you believe on Christ, you are baptized by one spirit into his body, and therefore that is your sealing, that is your anointing, or whatever you want to call it. And whether you get wet or not doesn't make any difference. So, okay. Because you think about like the guy that was hanging on the cross with Jesus, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ said, this day you'll be with me in paradise which was down in Abraham's bosom where he went. Well, they didn't baptize him. Okay. You know, and, and, it, and he was probably a Jew. <clears throat> he might not have been, but he called him Lord. So the indication would be he knew something, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I would say he was probably a Jew, but the point being 
It's not like the, the Roman soldiers stopped and said, oh, oh, well, he believes. Okay, let's take him down and we'll wash him and then we'll put him back up there. And yeah. <laughs> you know, there was no time for baptism. He was going to die. Okay. Right? So I believe that that's misunderstood and, and it's sometimes, unfortunately, kind of used as a repressive tool by certain religions. Yes. You know, which is sad because that's taking away from what Christ did. Yeah, because I was going to say, I am not baptized, but I didn't understand it, so that's why I haven't gotten it done right. if, if it was something that had to be done. Exactly. And I don't mind saying that, you know, I did not grow up in a religious family, so I didn't ever go to church unless my grandfather took us. Mm -hmm. And he did on occasion, and there was an occasion one time when I was going down the stairs from the balcony to mm -hmm. the men's room, and the door was locked. Or actually, upstairs it was locked, so I went down the stairs to go down the, the sanctuary aisle to go to the other restroom. And while I was in the stairwell, they gave an invitation, you know? Yeah. Whatever they call that, the altar call. So once I got into the room and I started walking down the aisle and I noticed all these other people were walking too, I felt embarrassed because I wasn't going up front to give my life to Jesus. I was going to the bathroom. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't want to admit that, so I ended up going up front just to save face. And so ultimately what happened was, you know, they, they said, oh, you've come to accept Christ and on and on. I didn't know what I was doing. I had mm -hmm. no clue. So the next Sunday or whenever, I actually got baptized, and I didn't know what I was doing there. But they said, you're a Christian. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. You're like, what did I just do? Yeah, I, I literally. So <laughs> I've been wet before, but it meant nothing to me. I had yeah. no connection to my faith in Christ. It was years later that I got saved, mm -hmm. and water had nothing to do with it, you know. So I say that just because I don't want anybody to think that water is going to make the difference yes. in your life. Mm -hmm. it, it's not. It's not. So heaven and paradise. So when we mentioned the thief on the cross, and he said, you'll be with me in paradise. Heaven is also referred to as paradise mm -hmm. because it's not a strict location. It's a description. You know, you could say we went to the beach and it was paradise and that would be accurate. You know, you didn't literally go to heaven, but you went to paradise. right? <laughs> so the heaven right now is temporary, right, until the new heaven and the new earth. So we've seen that when we absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord, whether it's the saints in the past, many, many years ago, that went into paradise in Abraham's bosom, or whether it's we that go up in the rapture in the third heaven where God is now, we're going to be in God's presence, right? But it's temporary. The third heaven and Abraham's bosom are both referred to as paradise. Both groups in Abraham's bosom and in the third heaven are going to return to the earth at the second coming of Christ. And one is raised in resurrection, the group in the earth, the group in Abraham's bosom. They mm -hmm. come up in resurrection. The other returns with Christ because we've already been caught up and we're coming back. Yes. So now we start to see there's different... God works in different directions. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's gathering all things together in a, in a unique way. And so we're going to stop there because next week we're going to get more into the mystery of heaven. We're going to talk a little bit more about that city, but more specifically about why we need a special kind of body to be there. Ooh. This body we're going to get, we're going to learn a little bit about what we're going to be like Okay. in those resurrected bodies. So stay tuned. So stay tuned. <laughs> and thank you for joining us today. And we just appreciate so much, again, everybody uh, sharing us, talk, you know, talking about us, and sending us those emails. Yes. Great ideas for topics.
Thank you. As always, thank you guys so much for liking the podcast and listening to it. Subscribe, share with your family. And then also, I want to know, what did you guys think about baptism? Like, comment down below what your viewpoint is on it. I would love to know what you guys think about it and if we should do a whole episode on it. That's a great idea. We'd love to hear that. And we could. We'll form we'll form some sort of a, either a series or, or an episode about it. And when we do the live thing, if whenever we set a date for that, mm-hmm. we'll pick some of those questions we've already been getting. Yes. Uh, I'm going to try to pick the ones that won't take hours and hours to answer because <laughs> you know me. I talk too much. But really, we are, we're looking forward to that and just thank you again so much and thank you, Zena. Of course, as always, you guys have a wonderful week. Take care. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.